Hello, I'm Scott Treadway, lead pastor here at Rancho. Thank you for joining us for Upside Down Christmas. Normally at Christmas time, we put the light on top of the tree. Well, Jesus, the light of the world, went to the bottom. He was the least, he was the last among us. And so the light of heaven came to the bottom. And what that means for us is that he came to serve and we can do the same thing. If you'd like more information about Rancho, you can see us at rancho.tv. If you'd like to give to support the ministry, rancho.tv slash giving, enjoy. It is Christmas season, are you ready? Week and a half and the big event happens. Y'all uh, bought all your gifts, right? Everybody's all? Yeah, <laughs> let's just say that. I haven't, house is all decorated? All right, you ready to go? I'm not, I am not ready to go. Um, I lag on this stuff, I'm terrible at this and it kind of frustrates my poor family over there. Um, there's a lot of decorations all over homes in the cities, they're beautiful, here's a tree. My house doesn't look anything like that at all. We do have our tree though. It's a tradition. All the kids come home and we decorate the tree. So that's pretty dialed in. Uh, there's houses that are just over the top. Um, I would never do anything close to that. I can't get my head around the work involved that you just have to reverse in three weeks anyway, but uh, they're beautiful houses. These, these are all in Temecula. Um, this uh, tree is in front of Temecula City Hall. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, some of you are parade people. I'm not a parade people, but you know, there's the Temecula Christmas Parade, and then here's the duck pond. So there's just these lights everywhere in our homes, um, in our city, and it's a time of year there's almost this, this fight between darkness and light. Uh, right after Halloween, we start noticing that the days are getting shorter, and so we put up more lights and more lights. So as the days get shorter, more lights are shining. And so right about this time of year, it's the darkest day of the year and we are shining billions of lights. It's almost a, a wrestling between the light and the darkness. Uh, last week I showed kind of in jest a house with one little lame strands of love light on it and it was real funny. Uh, and then somebody came over to our house at night and saw that that is in fact not a joke. That's what we have is one little strand of light. So even though I'm not real big on decorations that I have to take down, I really enjoy the season of blazing light in the darkest time of the year because that's what's happening in this world. In dark pockets of this world and in dark lives, there is a light that is shining uh, from Ethiopia to Temecula and everyone's life. There is light that is battling the darkness. And the cool thing about the physics of light is light always wins. Light always wins. Darkness isn't a thing. Light is a thing, right? These photons that just conquer the darkness. And so when we talk about God's plan for this dark world, there's a victory there shining the blazing light of the glory of heaven in this dark world. And so we're calling this an upside down Christmas. And here's the concept that in God's kingdom, God's light shines brightest in the darkest night and from the bottom. That's the upside down Christmas. That's why in our Christmas you know, logo, there's an upside down tree with a light at the bottom. That's where God loves to shine, where it's darkest and at the bottom. Uh, upside down Christmas trees are actually a thing. Uh, I didn't really know that when we were putting together this series, but it's a thing. You go to malls, they're upside down. In fact, I've got a good friend of mine whose wife is an interior designer and she put together the most amazing silver upside down Christmas tree. It is awesome. Again, all I see is work, so we're not doing it. And, uh, but the message of that is really powerful. The light at the bottom to serve everyone. In fact, Philippians chapter two says that's the heart of God through Jesus Christ is to go to the bottom to serve. Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clung to. Instead, he gave up or emptied himself of divine privilege. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, appearing in human form. This is the, the demotion of the light of the kingdom of heaven, really, from the blazing eternal light of God to being wrapped in human flesh, emptying himself of his divine privileges, being born in an oppressed people, being born among peasants. And of course, we know the Christmas story, born in a barn without even the basic human dignity. And so when we think about the blazing light of heaven coming to earth, we wouldn't normally think of this scene right here of a peasant mom and a peasant dad wrapping their child in rags and laying that child in a feed trough. But that's what Jesus did. The blazing light of heaven came to the bottom. He didn't come with power or wealth or strength. He came at the bottom not to be served, but to serve, Mark 10, 45. The eternal light of heaven came at the dark to the very bottom. The eternal light of heaven came in the dark to the very bottom. So not only is, is Jesus at the bottom at his birth, the entire scene is this humble, lowly scene. Uh, Jesus was born to the Jews, this nation that had no sovereign power. They were oppressed and invaded by this, this mega power of Rome. They had no freedoms. They're treated like, like slaves. Uh, Jesus' lineage came from Nazareth, and Nazareth was a, a town that was a nothing on a, on a hill. In fact, up until several decades ago, Bible scholars said, you know what, the Bible's full of errors, and one of the reasons we know that is because Nazareth wasn't even a real city. There was no archaeological evidence that Nazareth even existed. And so the assumption was it's just, you know, made-up fairy tale. And then little fragments of evidence. Yeah, Nazareth did exist, but it was such a tiny little dot. Squatter's village, as we say, a few families just decided to build little shanty houses on this hillside, and they called it Nazareth. It was nothing. The family was a peasant family. And it was in scandal. Here you have this young, pregnant mom who was not married. And in ancient times, that was a scandal that would have brought shame to the whole family. The injustice of, of the Romans forcing families to go back to their cities of origin, no matter their circumstance. The rejection, no room, no room, no room. Born in a barn among animals, wrapped in rags, and placed in a feed trough. The whole situation was humble. Mary was at the bottom. Every character in the Christmas narrative was at the bottom. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of culture, in the eyes of society, she was nothing. She was no one. She was a young peasant girl who was pregnant before marriage. I mean, the most despised among us. Luke 1, 30, a voice came to her and says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, this was not good news. It was before she was married. You can imagine sort of in her mind this, this scenario unfolding where, yes, she's a peasant, and yes, she's very, very poor, but she has this man that she is, the word is betrothed to, kind of guaranteed to. It's an engagement, but it's a binding engagement in the Hebrew culture. She has her vision of how this is going to work. I'm going to get married. Later, we'll have a family. All those plans were dashed when she got this news. And the news was really kind of good news, bad news, good news. Good news is God speaks to her and says, I have found favor with you. Not because of her resume. And this is key for all of us. God didn't favor Mary because she had this great resume. She had no earthly resume. It doesn't say she had any spiritual resume. There's no evidence whatsoever that says she was, you know, the most spiritual in the land or she was the most devout or the most obedient to God. She was just Mary. This girl 
pledged to be married to this boy. So she found favor with God, not because of anything she did, but God simply chooses, and he does this all the time, and he does this with us, is he simply says, I love you, I favor you, it's my pleasure to bless your life. And so Mary, um, I gave you some good news, you are favored. The, the rough journey here is you are going to be with child, and it's not going to be by any human effort. In her mind, this is a shameful life sentence. An unwed mother 2,000 years ago was a shame. But then here's the good news. You will give birth to a son. It's going to be a healthy baby. You're going to name this son Jesus. This will be a very special child. It goes on to say in Luke 138, Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. This is her response, even though the news was kind of tough. You're going to have a son outside of wedlock, conceive the son outside of wedlock. That's going to be a tough journey for you. But she says, let it be to me according to your will. This ensured that she would stay at the bottom. So, so God's journey here isn't necessarily to lift Mary from the bottom and bring her up to the top of society. That's oftentimes how we pray. God, I want this kind of success. I want that kind of success. I want this health. I want this kind of prosperity. We sometimes think God is in the business of elevating us in the eyes of the world. That's not what happened to Mary here. Mary was called at the bottom, and by saying yes to God, she stayed at the bottom. She would still be a peasant, but with the added shame that she conceived before marriage. She was at the bottom, and she stayed at the bottom. How about Joseph? Joseph was at the bottom. Here's this young, uneducated peasant from Nazareth. He's a carpenter's son. In fact, some evidence suggests that um, Nazareth uh, made doors. Sometimes... Excuse me. Sometimes smaller communities dotted uh, the landscape around larger cities and they contributed certain things, certain products, certain farm products, certain construction projects uh, to the cities. And so Nazareth may have been made, um, may have made doors for the surrounding cities. And so if that evidence is true, Joseph was likely a doormaker and he raised Jesus as a doormaker. And that's his plight. That's his plight. Very poor. There's no way out of that. You just work the family trade. You get paid what you're paid, and it's going to keep you in poverty. That is Joseph. Joseph is easily forgotten in this story. Mary is now this venerated woman, right? Um, in fact, there was a, a prophecy over her that she would be the greatest among all women, but she would also suffer the greatest, not only giving birth to a child conceived out of wedlock, but watching him be crucified. So here's this life at the bottom, but Mary is venerated. Joseph is kind of forgotten. But I think he's a hero for many reasons. Joseph is a hero because he decided first that he was going to care for Mary even when he didn't know what was going on. He says this in, in, in Matthew 1:19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph was kind here. I mean, you can imagine being a man engaged to a woman, she becomes pregnant and you know you didn't do it. For those of you who are confused, talk to your mom or dad. He knows this is not his child. It's a fact. She is betrothed. She is going to marry me by contract, by oath. It's gonna happen, family to family, Jewish tradition. That is a solemn oath. And she's pregnant and that baby's not mine. He could have been furious, irate. He could have shamed her. He could have even, according to the old covenant, have, have asked for her to be put to death. But he's kind and he's gracious and he's loving. And he says, 
honey, I'm divorcing you. <laughs> that is not my child, but I'm going to do it gracefully. That's a kind man. But then he heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of God say, uh, Joseph, this baby is from no human. This baby is from the Lord, and, and uh, we're asking you to stick with her. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and, uh, and they made a family together. And there were likely other children involved later. But for Joseph to stick with Mary, first of all, being loving and kind and not being bitter and angry initially. But then when he heard the voice of the Lord, he says, okay, I will do as you ask. The way Mary said to the Lord, let it be done unto me as you wish, Joseph said the exact same thing, which meant that he also stayed at the bottom. Because keep in mind, Mary was the only one who absolutely knew without doubt that this child was from God. The only one who absolutely knew. I mean, you talk about the most um, uh, faithful, undoubting woman who's ever lived, that's Mary, because she knew this kid was from no human being. Even though Joseph had this voice from God, do you think he was 100% without doubt about where this child might have come from? I mean, if I received you know, a voice from God in the middle of the night, I might blame it on, on pizza. I might blame it on something, but a bad dream. Uh, all he got was a voice from God. Don't you think he wrestled at times, maybe a lot? Where did this child really come from? And certainly no one in the community, no one in society would have assumed that this baby was from God. So both Mary and Joseph lived their entire lives with the shame of an unwed uh, conception. Their entire lives in this small little village. They understood that when they said yes to God, they would stay at the bottom. Joseph did the right thing, even when it cost him. In this whole story, everyone's at the bottom. Mary's at the bottom. Joseph's at the bottom. What about the shepherds? When we talk about the shepherds, um, very often we have this kind of hallmark idea about the shepherds that, you know, here they are in their nice, clean, white robes with multicolored, you know, tassels and, 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 and belts, and they're just this, they're floating into the, into the barn and worshiping Jesus. But let's face it, the shepherds were disgusting. That's just the nature of the job. If there's any shepherds in here, I apologize, but it's dirty work, right? It's a dirty job. Uh, somebody's got to do it. For the shepherd section over here, thank you for doing your good work. But uh, shepherds are dirty, right? And culturally, they were despised, despised. Uh, I was at a, a nativity uh, performance a couple of days ago, and of course, the shepherds come in, and they're all super clean and smelled super nice. I know, because I went and smelled them one by one. It's like, yeah, you smell nice. You're a little funky, but we'll talk later. Uh, they're, they're all neat, nice and clean and put together. In reality, shepherds are gross. Their clothes are not clean. They smell like poo-poo caca. That's just their whole life, right? Even societally and culturally, they were not trusted. In fact, if they came to town, and they would come to town every once in a while for supplies, everybody would walk the other way. You didn't want to associate them with them. They were kind of strange and kind of weird. Now, some of us haven't had too much experience with shepherds. Uh, I have a little experience with shepherds. Uh, I grew up here in this valley, and this valley had shepherds every single year. And uh, it was sort of this <clears throat> tradition. Things get warmer, grass starts growing, and the sheep come in and the shepherds come in. In fact, that happened here just about two or three years ago. I saw for the first time in a very long time a shepherd with sheep in this valley. It's been a while. And they live in these tiny trailers, no bigger than this little section of stage. They're by themselves. They have hundreds of sheep around them and a dog or two. And as I, as I saw them growing up, I always thought to myself, that is a strange lifestyle. 
What must it be like to, to be by yourself in that little trailer surrounded by animals? That's your entire life. And you're always out in the distance, right? You're out in the distance. And so there's no real socialization coming you know, your way. Nobody's making an effort to come to your little scary trailer uh, saying hi to you. It's just a strange existence. The same thing was true in the ancient Near East. In fact, I talked to someone last service who came up to me and he says, I was born and raised in Romania and we had a lot of shepherds. And the interesting thing about the shepherds is they were hired by the peasants. I mean, you talk about a lowly existence. You've got the royalty, you've got the landowners, you've got the managers, you've got the peasants and the peasants hire the shepherds. It doesn't get any lower than that. And that was true at the time. So here's the strange reality about this. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The glory of the Lord went to the shepherds, the lowest of the low. Now, if you read in the Old Testament, a few times, the glory of God appeared. The glory of God appeared to Moses, the great prophet. The glory of God uh, appeared uh, to the great uh, priests in the tabernacle. The glory of God appeared to Solomon, the great king at the commissioning of the temple. And so you can imagine uh, God pulls aside, I don't know, a few thousand angels and says, hey, um, uh, we are going to share the full glory of God at the birth of Jesus, right? The eternal light of heaven, born in the darkness of the earth. Angels, uh, you guys are going to be the ones to go down. And you can kind of imagine them, this is a little crazy, but, you know, warming up for the, for the gig. Where are we going? What high mountain, what high palace, what high kings and queens are, are we going to be announcing to? What great prophets, what great priests, what great royalty are we going to announce to? And God all excited says, you're going to that handful of shepherds over there to announce the coming of Jesus. Uh, what? That's not what we envisioned this announcement to be. The greatest announcement in human history came to the lowest people. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you've ever felt as though you've been at the bottom, and some of you feel that now, it's a tough time of year for some people, you're feeling grief and depression or anxieties, you're feeling perhaps alone, you're feeling as though your life is not quite what you imagined it to be, and maybe you're suffering in many ways. Maybe you've had a life of rejection or loneliness you felt at the bottom. Maybe you feel as though others have kind of rejected you or, or undervalue you. You're not heard, you're not appreciated. If you felt at the bottom, the Christmas story is for you. That's where God loves to work. God called Mary at the bottom, Joseph at the bottom. He gave the announcements to the shepherds at the bottom. That's where God loves to work. And so this should be an uplifting time for us. Even if we feel at the bottom, even if we feel sorrow, if we feel rejection, just know that that's where God met Mary. That's where God met Joseph. That's where God met the shepherds at the bottom. And here's the announcement that went out. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. What's the good news? The good news is that God loves us. It's really a simple thing, that God loves us. And he showed that love by coming to the bottom. The light of heaven didn't split the sky from the top and say, all you creatures, work your way up here through your religion, through your good works, right? Through your obedience, through your compliance. Work your way to me if you dare. God does not say that. The light doesn't shine from the top to the bottom. Work your way up to my holiness. Work your way up to my righteousness. The light of heaven went to the bottom, and lived among the least, the last, and lost. 
and shared to the whole world bottom up that I love you and I care for you. And you know that because I'm wrapped in human flesh, I'm wrapped as a peasant, and this birth scene can't be any worse. That's the good news of God's love. He's kind and he's gracious and he's for us and he forgives us. And it's a free gift that just pours from heaven to earth through Jesus. The birth of Jesus proves it. We don't have any part in it. God just does it for us through Jesus. And when we know that and believe that and receive that, great things happen. Good news of great joy. When we receive that good news, there is a great joy. Now, I'm not talking about emotional joy. I'm not a huge fan of emotions. Uh, I have them, at least two of them. I have them. They, are, they have a place, for sure. They have a very important place in the human existence. But emotions are simply chemical reactions. I'm sorry to do this to you, but emotions are just chemical reactions. The good and the bad ones, they're just chemical reactions. There's a deeper existence that this is talking about. Good news of God's love proved through Jesus Christ creates great joy. And that great joy is not an emotional joy. It's this understanding that despite what I feel, chemical reactions getting triggered by this and that, some healthy, some not, some true, some lies, as the emotions work all over us, under our feet, there can be great joy. And that joy is that deep sense that I am loved by God, that I am good with God. Not that I've made myself good for God, but I am good with God because he looks at me the way he looked at Mary and he says, I find favor with you. And we might say, why would you find favor with me? And God would say, don't talk back, I just do. Receive it. And let that put a smile on your face, right? Smile, Christians. <laughs> Little Nacho Libre. It's been a long time since a Nacho Libre quote has hit the stage and it was unacceptable. The elders got on my case about that. And if you don't watch Nacho Libre every, every Christmas, you have got a problem. You're thinking, well, it's not a Christmas movie. It's an everything movie. Just live it and love it. Smile. Nothing is more bothersome than a Christian who's grumpy and rats. Ugh, just stop the grumpiness. This is good news of great joy. Love it and receive it. You've got this love and forgiveness under your feet. Live a life of great joy. And that is for all people. And that's the beautiful part of the, of the Declaration of the Shepherds. This good news of great joy is for all people. That's why God went to the shepherd. Because everybody would kind of assume, well, the people at the top, you know, they were determined to be blessed, right? If they're at the top, somebody must have done something because they ha are now receiving reward for their goodness. That was kind of the old school, it's kind of an ancient way of thinking, that the people at the top are the blessed ones and the people at the bottom are not. People still think that today, unfortunately. The reason why God... Was, Jesus was born at the bottom and why the announcement went to the bottom is because it's for everyone. If you can go to the shepherds and you can go to the people from Nazareth, it is for everyone. Even the shepherds, even Mary, even Joseph, even the poor, even the sick. This good news of great joy is even for those who are labeled sinners or immoral. Look at the life of Jesus. He went to everyone who was outcast and rejected. He went to them all. This is for everyone. Good news of great joy. You are loved. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You are one with God. He has found favor with you, not based on anything you've done. He just says, you're my perfect son, you're my perfect daughter. He just says it, he just declares it. At the point we believe it, that light shines and blazes in our lives and this great joy emerges. And then we 
get this pleasure of spilling that light out to everyone. It is for everyone. It's even to Mary Joseph. It's even to the ones who are carrying guilt and shame from past mistakes. It's even to the nation of Israel, the most despised, one of the most despised nations on earth at the time. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, the last thing he says before he ascends to the glory of God in heaven is he says, this is for all tribes, all tongues, all nations. It's for everyone. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you will find a baby wrapped in rags and lying in a feed trough. Swaddling clothes in a manger kind of romanticizes the real tragedy of this birth story. Jesus was born at the bottom. His mother at the bottom. Joseph who raised him at the bottom. The shepherds at the bottom. That's where God's light shines brightest. Now here we are in Temecula, California. And while there are a lot of people who really struggle, we are at the top. Globally speaking, most of us, vast majority of us are at the top. We have our moments, we have our moments where we feel at the bottom. Maybe our emotions have put us at the bottom. Maybe we've had some struggles in life where we have felt that those times I've been at the bottom. But really globally speaking, we're at the top. We have privilege, we have food, we have clothes, we have a roof over our head, we have education. Vast, vast, vast majority of us have jobs and are able to provide for our family. We're at the top. And as we go through this, you might be thinking, well, <clears throat> I can't relate with Mary. I'm not a, a, an impoverished, disrespected peasant in a squatter's village. I can't relate with, with Joseph. I can't relate with the shepherds. Is this story for me? I'm not at the bottom. Is this story for me? Well, fortunately for us, who might experience some privilege, and I put myself in that category, the final characters in the Christmas story are these group of kings from the east. They're at the top. They're at the top. They have power. They have wealth. They're wise guys. They've got wisdom. They've got influence. They've got camels. They've got gold. They've got spices. They've got it all. They are at the top. The beautiful part of, of the narrative of the birth of Christ is this wonderful story of the people at the top bowing low before Jesus. So even if we have privilege, and most of us do, we can't relate with the circumstances of Mary or Joseph or the shepherds. We can probably more relate with the people who have than the people who have not. And what do we see at the birth of Jesus? Everyone meets Jesus on their knees. And so if you have the privilege of living in this beautiful country and in this beautiful city, surrounded by love and family and friends, you have some respect, you have some provision, you have a job, you have a future, we all meet together on our knees at the lowest place, honoring Jesus, thanking him for forgiveness, thanking him that he brings us into a right relationship with God as a gift of grace and grace alone. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll close here. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. It's an upside-down kingdom. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. It's upside-down. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, 
Mary, counted as nothing. Joseph, counted as nothing. The shepherds, counted as nothing. Jesus, counted as nothing from his birth to his death by crucifixion. The things counted as nothing, God used to bring to nothing what the world considers important. It's upside down. What's most important in the kingdom of heaven is love and forgiveness and grace and kindness, humanitarianism, receiving the love of Christ at the bottom. He saved us from the bottom. Even his crucifixion, it doesn't get lower than that. That's where he bore the sins and the shame and the scorn of the world upon himself and died for it. We meet Jesus at the bottom. God has united you with Jesus Christ. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. It's his gift. Uh, He made us pure and holy. It's his gift. He freed us from sin. So not only do we meet Jesus at the bottom, not only do we receive his love and forgiveness at the bottom, but on our knees with him at the bottom, we then can live a new life, free from sin and selfishness that it's all about me and free to love people around us and to have this kingdom of love spread to the ends of the earth. Let's all meet Jesus at the bottom by prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for your great love for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus shows the full measure of your heart for us, that you are a God of love and kindness, that you are a God who is eager to serve and not just be served, that you came in fullness in the form of a peasant who was not only born among the lowest among us, but he was crucified. Crucified to take the failures and the sins and the shame of the world upon himself and die for it so that there's nothing that separates us from you. We are forgiven in Christ. You find favor with us, not because of anything we've done, but purely by your grace and goodness through your son. We receive that love. We receive that forgiveness at the bottom. And now help us to live a life of humility as Jesus did. Help us to live a life seeking the benefit of people around us, especially in this Christmas season. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We got a prayer.